You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sorry. I don't know why, but really, I think it makes a difference both in terms of light and proximity to you that I move this up to the edge of the steps. It feels so far even just a foot back. Um, Well, anyway, I'm all settled. What I want to talk to you about tonight, um, um, give me... Give me five minutes, okay? Give me ten minutes. Stick with me. um, Because what I want to do is talk to you about obedience. And uh, in our society, you know, when you hear obey and obedience, I'm sure that your your heart begins to deflate. Does it not? I mean, what probably comes to your mind is heavy-handedness, discipline, um, the... uh, parent that you don't like or you know the the school master that you don't like or whatever it is in your life that these are the kinds of things that come to our mind when we hear words like obey and obedience Um, there was uh, I guess it still kind of exists but especially saw this in the 90s there's a guy named Shepard Ferry do you know who he is he's a street artist do you remember in 2008 the uh, Obama campaign had that iconic um red, white, and blue uh, portrait of Obama that said hope on the bottom. Shepard Ferry's the artist that created that graphic. Well, he originally got started um, with a sort of viral, before there was really uh, social media in the late 80s or 90s, a phenomenon with these stickers that people put all over urban environments that had, uh, they started a little bit differently, but basically it's a portrait of Andre the Giant do you remember Andre the Giant, the French wrestler from when it used to be called WWF, and he was in Princess Bride? Uh, and it said, Andre the Giant has a posse. Well, eventually they stylized it, uh, the portrait of Andre the Giant, and it simply said, Obey. Have you seen this before? They're often on stop signs. I've seen it all over the world, in Europe and around the United States. Um, still kind of goes on. Um, and Shepard Ferry, the artist, said it has no purpose. There was no point, there was no message with it. The, the purpose of it was to see how people kind of responded, their different interpretations and perplexity. Um, you know, the Andre the Giant portrait is strange enough, but the word obey is one of those words that just evokes a strong reaction. I remember I took a creative writing class in college, and uh, my teacher said, if you want to get a reaction out of your readers, use the word mother. Um, Well, obeys like that kind of word. There are just these words that, you know, evoke that kind of reaction. And, uh, you know, usually obey uh, evokes a sort of a negative reaction, which is funny because the hope campaign has a, a, a positive sort of reaction to it. Um, right now in China, you know, there's the coronavirus uh, that's getting started in China and now spreading around the world. Well, it's a big deal in China. Um, right now, apparently all the citizens in China, if they want to go outside, are supposed to wear these surgical masks. Um, and the government has these drones, you know, like toy kind of type drones, flying around 
all over China looking for people without masks, and they have speakers on these drones as far away as like a thousand miles away from the epicenter of the coronavirus in rural northern China. There's a video, you can see it online, where this drone is talking to this old lady, like near the border of Mongolia. And it says, Auntie, why are you outside not wearing your mask? And uh, she's like freaking out. And it says, yes, this is the drone talking to you. I mean, this is like 1984. George Orwell, big, big brother, it exists. You know, 0202-2020. Put on your surgical mask. And she freaks out. And, and she runs back to her home. And the drone's following her and chastising her. I mean, even in like Beijing, they're doing this, you know, uh, the, the, the drones falling around. Obey the Communist Party. Put on your surgical mask. Well, that's the, um, the sort of response I have and you probably have when you think about uh, obedience as, as things like this. Well, what about obedience to God? Because the, this is actually a topic throughout the Bible, and it's even in, in the, the New Testament. Jesus himself talks about obeying God, obeying himself. Is obedience to God like this? You know, the, 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 the Chinese government, or Andre the Giant sticker, um, or, you know, the, the father that you hated, or whatever. Is obedience to God like this, or is it something altogether different? Well, our passage today from Luke chapter 2, um, I want to propose to you that it, it, it demonstrates what an obedient life to God looks like. And four different individuals, and actually a fifth one, who are uh, living obediently, first of all, to God's law, and then uh, two of them, and then two others obedient to God's work in their life by the Holy Spirit. And that is uh, Joseph and Mary, the parents of Jesus, first of all, and then uh, Simeon and Anna, these two old people who are in the temple. And the fifth person I want to say that we get a glimpse of his obedience is Jesus Christ, that Jesus was obedient to God the Father. He lived a life that was entirely uh, according to God's will for him and for the world. And so you see, uh, first of all, with the... um, the, the very beginning of this passage, uh, Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to the temple for this rite of purification. Uh, what's going on here? They're, they're obeying God's law. They're living a pious life. Not everybody in Israel would have been this pious, but you see that Mary and Joseph are not rebellious Israelites. They are living a life in obedience to God's law. What law is this? If you have your Bible, you can flip to uh, Leviticus chapter 12, which is page 90 in the uh, Pew Bibles. And Leviticus chapter 12 is a short uh, uh, paragraph. So I'm going to read a little bit of it. This is what's happening here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, of uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her uh, purifying are complete. And then skipping to verse 6. And when the days of her purifying are complete, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. 
then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And here's the important point for our passage today in verse 8. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. And so you see Joseph and Mary are living according to the letter of the law here and, and participating in the sacrifice. And the fact that they use uh, two turtle doves demonstrates the poverty of their family. They couldn't afford a lamb, and God's provided provision even for poor people to make these uh, sacrifices. And there they are at the temple for this. And they come to the temple uh, for this purpose, and they encounter this elderly man named Simeon, which, by the way, our third child's name is Simeon. If you're wondering where that name came from, it's here in Luke chapter 2. Uh, and also, it's a tribe, one of the 12 tribes of Israel is the tribe of Simeon. Uh, and there's a, a famous preacher from the 1700s named Charles Simeon. So that's where he gets his name, or from these three places, but Luke chapter 2 in particular. And Simeon... Um, he was, so we see with Joseph and Mary a, a, a life lived in obedience to the letter of God's law. And now we see uh, a life which probably included that because he's described as being a righteous man. But now we see a man who's completely possessed by the Holy Spirit, who's living in uh, obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him, go to the temple at this specific time. And the Holy Spirit also told him, you are not going to die until you see uh, the Lord's salvation for the world. And there he is, and there's the baby Christ, and he takes salvation in his hands, according to what the Holy Spirit had told him. And he, uh, he responds in this outpouring of what may or may not be a song, but at least this poetic uh, prayer of the statement of, now I may die in peace, Lord. You told me I wouldn't die until I would see the Lord's salvation, and now I have seen it. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding it. He's taking salvation in his hands, the baby Christ. Uh, and uh, so there, there's the salvation, and uh, the song uh, also, the, it, it speaks of the, the salvation not only for, for Israel, but for the salvation of all the world, uh, 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 the glory of Israel and a light to the Gentiles. And then after that, he addresses uh, Marion and Joseph. Uh, he blesses them and talks about the appointment of uh, who their son is, a sign uh, for those who are both opposed to him and those who are on his side, the rising and fall of some, the rising of some and the fall of others. And also there's a, there's a sort of a downer note that not everything's going to be peachy keen that this salvation is going to come through some hardship, as we know is the cross, um, that this will pierce through your own soul also, Mary, that you're going to see, she doesn't know the specifics of it yet, but you're going to see your son uh, die for this salvation as a sacrifice. And then, so here, that was Simeon, living uh, not only a righteous life according to God's law, but uh, uh, living by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, completely submitted to, to what God wants for him. And then finally, the prophetess Anna, uh, who also is uh, possessed by the Holy Spirit in a good way. 
um, because she's called a prophetess. And we see in the Old Testament that often the prophets are described as someone who had the Holy Spirit upon them. And this is before Acts chapter 2. The, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit on all the saints. But the beginning of Luke's gospel, several people, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, for example, are described, and Simeon here, and now the prophetess Anna, as having the Holy Spirit uh, to guide them. And so you see another woman who is very old, maybe 84. We don't know. Depending on the math, was it 84 years old or 84 years since her husband died? If that's the case, she's probably like 100 and something, who's been spending most of her life there at the temple completely dedicated to prayer and worship of God and interceding for other people. And she also is given the, um, the privilege to see the Lord's salvation in this child. And then finally, the, we come back to, in this passage, Joseph and Mary, um, who, who go back home, and then it's des- Jesus is described, the child, in verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And so you see also with Jesus that obedient life to God's will. One thing that might come to your mind when you when you think about obedience is dogs. Is, is that right? You know, if I talk about obedience, you might think of obedience training. And this is on my mind because we just got a dog. Uh, and we, we have an eight-year-old baby, so we're crazy. We, we, I said we can't get a puppy. So my wife adopted a three-year-old dog. He's a standard poodle, which is a, a large dog whose hair constantly grows. His name was Sasha. And I said, buddy, you're already a poodle. You've got two strikes against you with this name, Sasha. So we renamed him Samson because he had the long hair. Uh, but we've, we've uh, taken away his strength and got him shorn. Um, but so we have Samson the dog, who is a very sweet and lovely dog who lacks obedience training. And so you, you don't take Samson for a walk. He takes you for a walk, uh, which is not only frustrating, but it's kind of dangerous. Uh, actually, he pulled Holly over and scraped up her side. I mean, he's try- not trying to be mean. He's just, he doesn't know how to uh, live an obedient life to, to his masters. And the thing is, we're trying to learn obedience, how to train him in obedience. And I think what we'll see is that our life together is going to be better for it. That when he learns to live according to, to our desires, he's actually going to have more freedom. And the video that we bought about obedience training said, usually a dog who obeys is a more relaxed dog. They have less anxiety because of this relationship between them and the master. Well, our relationship with God is similar. I mean, it might not be a perfect analog, but our relationship with God is, is quite similar to... Uh, living a life in, in a, obedience to a loving master who wants what's best for us. This is why Jesus said in John's gospel, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will do the things that I want for you. And also he said this in the Great Commission. We don't often think about or highlight this word in the Great Commission where he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That part of discipleship is learning to live a life in accord with God's will. The things that Jesus taught. I mean, think the Sermon on the Mount or anywhere else where he's talking about love uh, your neighbors, love your brothers and sisters, love your enemies. 
The, the summary of the, the law and the prophets is to love God and to love neighbors uh, as yourself. Our obedience to God through Jesus is, is like as a, a dog's obedience to a most loving and righteous master, a perfect master. This is why the Canaanite, or some people say the Syrophoenician woman, uh, said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the master's table. Um, she's equating herself as if, as if a dog to eat the, the things that fall under the table, and he's a most loving master, and he actually gave her what she asked for. Well, what does obedience, therefore, look like under Christ, under the, uh, the covenant of grace, after the cross of Jesus Christ? Because we don't often talk about these things. We usually emphasize uh, the, the grace. And so what I'm saying might make you uneasy. There's a tension here. We're no longer bound to the same ceremonial laws that uh, Mary and uh, Joseph were obeying uh, when they took Jesus to the temple and and she was uh, purified with the two turtle doves. We no longer are bound to those ceremonial laws. So Christian obedience is, is different. It's like the obedience we see displayed with Simeon and Anna. It is a, a joyful obedience, delighting to do God's will, aligning our desires with his. And this is all possible because of the obedience of Jesus Christ to the Father. Our joyful obedience is all possible because of Jesus' perfect obedience uh, to the will of the Father. Hebrews says this way, although he was, Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. That he had to have perfect obedience to suffer the will of the Father, which led him all the way to death on the cross. And you can contrast that with the uh, sacrifice for purification in verse 24 of our passage today with the, the um, two turtle doves, that this is something that had to be repeated for generations from the beginning of the writing of Leviticus all the way up to Joseph and Mary for thousands of years. These things were going on and on, and not only that, but the, the, the sacrifice of atonement and so many other things. Every year, all the time, well, Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all, final and perfect, sufficient for us. This is why Simeon in his song says, My eyes have now seen your salvation. I, uh, we've been longing for this. For the one perfect sacrifice to finally come, the one who's perfectly obedient, and our obedience, therefore, is in response to Christ's obedience for us. Well, here are some final points of takeaway for you. As I said, we're no longer bound to the the laws of the, the old covenant, as we see here in this passage, but the joyfully obedient attitudes of people like Mary and Joseph, even in this passage, but especially with Simeon and Anna, are instructive for us. Even the joyful obedience that we see in Mary and Joseph, their their desire to fulfill God's law, even if we're not bound to it, and also the promptings of the Holy Spirit that Simeon and Anna are, are following are instructive for us. They, as John the Baptist would say, are bearing fruit of their salvation in keeping, in, in, uh, keeping with their repentance. And Simeon and Anna, as I've said, are submitted to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, obedient to the Spirit's promptings. And I want to say to you that if you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the promise that you're given 
is that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, each of you and each of us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just sit there, but he's active in your life. Some of the things that you think or intuit or feel might actually be the Spirit's prompting, just as he's prompting uh, Anna and Simeon in this passage. Now, uh, that might raise a lot of questions. The, The simple answer for you to discern whether the Holy Spirit's speaking to you or not is, if it contradicts God's word, probably not the Holy Spirit, okay? That's probably your crazy ideas. Um, but if it's in accord with God's will, it might be the Spirit prompting you to live uh, that obedient life to Him. And that is a gift that we have in the trust of Jesus Christ that God gives us our spirit, not left alone, that He uh, helps us, He causes us to live these obedient lives. And so being a, a follower of Jesus, one of his disciples, as it says in Matthew 28, having faith in him ultimately means being obedient to him as Lord. And we will never be perfectly obedient. That's not what I'm talking about. But that is, neither is that a cop-out to try not to be obedient at all. And what, uh, what a privilege it is to have a forgiveness when we do uh, stumble and fall in the same way that earlier in the service when we read the commandments of God's law, we were able to confess our sins and have forgiveness declared to us. And so let me end this uh, sermon on uh, a happy tone about living a life in uh, obedience to God with something that somebody texted me I'm going to hand this out on either side. On one side, there's the, the forwarded uh, social media post, and the other side are some photos that it's talking about, about a sheep named Shrek. Um... I think this captures everything that I'm trying to get across in this story, okay? So if you remember anything today, remember this and take it home and put it on your refrigerator. On the back, what you see is a sheep that went missing for six years, and his fleece had grown to weigh 60 pounds. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty incredible photo. And then uh, they found him, this lost sheep. I mean, you might think of Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost sheep. And uh, he came back, and they, 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 just as we cut the, the fleece of Samson, they, um, they, they've shorn the fleece there. And here's the description of the story. This is Shrek the sheep. He became famous several years ago when he was found after hiding out in caves for six years. Of course, during this time, his fleece grew without anyone there to shorn or shave it. When he was finally found and shaved, his fleece weighed an amazing 60 pounds, Most sheep have a fleece weighing just under 10 pounds, with the exception usually reaching 15 pounds maximum. For six years, Shrek carried six times the regular weight of his fleece, simply because he was away from his shepherd. This reminds me of John chapter 10, when Jesus compares himself to a shepherd and his followers are his sheep. Maybe it's a stretch, but I think Shrek is much like a person who knows Jesus Christ but has wandered. If we avoid Christ's constant refining of our character, we're going to accumulate extra weight uh, in this world, a weight we don't have to bear. When Shrek was found, a professional sheep shearer took care of Shrek's fleece in 28 minutes. 
Shrek's 60-pound fleece was finally removed, enough wool to make suits for 20 men, which will all be on sale at Shea's. Uh, All it took was uh, coming uh, home to his shepherd. I believe Christ can lift the burdens we carry if we only stop hiding. He can shave off our fleece, quote-unquote, that is, our self-imposed burdens brought about by wandering from our good shepherd. And then these words of comfort that will comfort that we'll read one more time later today. Come to me, all who are weary and are burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.